and welcome to Insurance Tomorrow, a podcast brought to you by Alliance Insurance with me, Steph McGovern. Now, in this series, we look at what's happening in the world and then work out how it might impact the insurance industry. So we cover everything from underinsurance, fraud, sustainability, business resilience, the skills shortage, and everything in between. If you want to listen back, you can get all of the episodes online now. So today we are going to talk about financial literacy, or more specifically, the lack of it. This can often be a reason why people don't take out insurance, because they're not very good at calculating risk, or they think that the incident when they need insurance is never going to happen to them, until of course it does. So we want to talk about what's going on and what the industry can do about it. Well, with me to do that is Patricia Paleo, who is a senior economist of insurance and ESG at Allianz, and John Gerin, who's Professor of Education and Social Statistics at UCL. Um, John, let me start with you on this. Can you just tell us how much of a problem financial literacy is in this country? I'd say it's a big problem. So the last time I looked at this uh, internationally, comparing England to other countries, we did perform worse than elsewhere. So one example was adults in England and various other nations were asked, well, how much change would you get from a £20 note if you bought these four items? And about a third of adults in this country couldn't do that simple calculation which was a much higher proportion than elsewhere. So that seems to suggest it is a big issue here and it's a bigger issue here than other countries. So our younger adults particularly stood out as struggling compared to their international comparators. And Patricia, Alliance have done some research on this, haven't you? Some global research. Tell us what you found from it. We found that there is a persistent financial literacy gender gap. Out of the nine questions that we asked to assess the level of financial literacy, the mean number of correct responses for women was 3.7, while that of men was 4.5. There is a much higher proportion of women amongst the respondents with low financial literacy, which considered between zero and two correct answers and a much lower share of women with high financial literacy, i.e. seven to nine correct answers. We, consistent with our previous work on financial literacy, we also found, as John mentioned, that it does increase with age. There was a higher concentration of high financial literacy amongst the older generations, i.e. the baby boomers, uh, with 21% compared to the rest, and particular with Gen Z that had uh, only 6% had high financial literacy and millennials, only 11% of our millennials qualified for high financial literacy. There's quite a lot to unpick from all of this then, and I want to take each thing in turn. So first of all, John, just coming back to what you were saying then about this country and the fact that there is a problem of financial literacy. Why do you think that is? From some other work that we've done, it looks to emerge really quite early in life. We recently did a study where we looked at socioeconomic differences in financial literacy uh, amongst children. And you could see that there was stuff emerging even as young as age seven in terms of young people's knowledge and skills. Also, their kind of exposure to money and money related issues. Simple things, whether they have a bank account, how much their parents talk to them about money and the lessons that they get at school as well. So I think it really starts from a very early age where some children get more than others, but they probably in totality don't get enough in general. Mm. I've um, done quite a bit of work on this with an organisation called Young Money, which helps school-aged children to understand a bit more about money. So it's a kind of 
voluntary system as in you know it's not on the curriculum but some schools do it where people will go in and, and help teach the kids about money and one of the schools in particular that I worked with is in a really deprived part of the country and they found that from having the kids have these lessons where they learned about what APR is on the credit cards where they learned about the difference between currencies and things like that they were then as a byproduct, helping their parents understand it a bit more too. So they started inviting the parents into some of the classes. And it was quite incredible, the change that you would see of their understanding of literacy. And I guess part of the problem, John, is we, we just don't have that in the education system as a curriculum thing. So not all kids are learning this stuff. Yeah, completely. So where does it fit in is the question in the curriculum. Like you could do more of it in maths. It's not maths, right? It's a subset of maths and you could introduce more in there. And actually, if you look at kind of the um, the uh, accountability metrics, the SATs tests that are done in this country, actually they include very few kind of questions about finances. But for me, it's actually one of the core bits that if you're not going to be good at any part of maths, just make sure you're good at financial literacy because that's probably going to be the thing that you're going to kind of need for the rest of your life. And Patricia, uh, just coming back then to this issue with the gender cap, that really stood out to me from from that research from Allianz. Why do you think that is? Why is there such a gender gap? Well, I think that, as John mentioned, there are socioeconomic characteristics that really do affect the level of financial literacy. Funnily enough, whenever we control for all the socioeconomic characteristics like employment, marital status, income levels, education, when we actually look at all these things and we equalize, there is very little difference between men and women. The problem is that very little women have a, an equal socioeconomic level as men. So this is the source of the gender gaps. It's not really an incapacity of women to understand finance. We actually found that in Germany, women have a positive gender gap compared to the rest of our sample, which was interesting to say the least. Yeah, what are they doing differently then, do you think? Women in Germany are more financially literate for all the wrong reasons because they need to. In Germany, you have a larger proportion of women that engage in part-time employment. Then there's also the fact that we had more women that mentioned that they were the sole decision makers in the household. So men delegate this money management to women in a very paternalistic way. We did not expect this sort of result. So that's why we only looked at the decision making and the experience that they have handling money. So experience does play an important role in financial literacy, which is also what we see when we look at the age distribution of the high financially literate people. Yeah, it's, it's not purely age, it's experience. Yeah, it seems ridiculous. I get it said to me all the time, you know, when you leave school, shouldn't you be able to understand like what mortgages are and, you know, all the other financial products that you end up buying in your life mm. and one of them being insurance. And Patricia, I just want to ask you, obviously this financial illiteracy makes it very difficult for companies like Allianz who are selling financial services. Yes, indeed. I think that there is a lack of understanding of risks. And as we navigate an ever more complicated world, it will become crucial for people to understand the type of risks that they're facing and the way that they can hedge those risks, be that with insurance or with personal savings or with different other schemes. And I think that it's also important to keep up with regulation. For example, if you're living in Florida on the shore side, you perhaps are uninsurable now. And there are steps that you need to take in order to be aware of this risk and also to prevent any future problems that you may have. 
John, do you see that within your research work then as it being a problem in terms of people understanding what it is they're buying when it comes to financial services? Yeah, I mean, the key one is around risk, right? And people are notoriously bad at miscalculating risk and miscalculating the probability of things happening. And of course, when you're thinking about insurance, that's a key part of it, because you need to weigh up what the risk is to work out whether it's kind of worth buying or not. And just most people really struggle to kind of make that calculation. So you kind of do see it a lot. And more generally, right, one of the biggest decisions young people now make financially is about whether to go to university or not. Well, they need to work out the probability that is going to give them a better job, but also what their salary would be with or without going to university if they're going to make it in terms of a financial decision. So people now have to do pretty complex calculations, which can have really quite big financial implications for them for the rest of their lives. And as you point out, this is about cost for them as well. So with going to uni, if you are going to uni, if that's the choice you make, you've got the outlay of uni, but then you've also got to think about contents insurance. If you've got a car, car insurance and everything else. And I guess, Patricia, for lots of young people in particular, they're thinking, oh, well, that's a for something like your contents insurance for your accommodation. You might think, I'll just take the risk. Yes, I think that that's a bit of an issue that you're unaware of of whether it may or may not happen until it happens. And here in Germany, we have a lot of mandatory insurance and one of them is home insurance or or accommodation insurance. And I think that that's really it, it helps with people buying this sort of insurance products because they're somehow embedded into contracts, somehow embedded in banking services. And this certainly helps. But I think that if you have this types of voluntary insurance, it makes sense to understand what are the risks. So for example, if there's water damage in your dorm, then you might have to pay for this if you were not careful enough. I think that this is a a, quite an important thing for young people to have as well. So if you have a bike and it makes sense to just protect yourself and it's best to prevent than to wait for a catastrophe to happen or, you know, a loss to happen. And as part of that, the the issue of underinsurance is, you know, people going, well, if I'm going to get insurance, I'll just go for the cheapest option possible. And that might not cover all the expensive things they have and everything else. And that leads to more problems for them. If things do get nicked, they'll think they're going to get the money back for it and they haven't got the right insurance. Yeah, it's also quite important to understand the policy and the things that your policy covers. And this is where they can engage with brokers. It's okay to reach out. And that's also something that we found in our survey. We asked them, where do you get financial advice from? And very few people, and and more so with the low financial illiterate, reached out to professionals. They prefer to have their network as their advisors, so their friends and family. And I think this might be problematic, especially if you are in an underserved area, if you're in a vulnerable uh, community, if you're only looking at your peers, you might be in this cycle of misinformation in which uh, saving, I don't know, 20 pounds or 20 euros per year might prevent you from having coverage for monthly for dental, for example. Do you think, John, there's that kind of this illiteracy leads to like a trust issue as well with financial services? Yeah, I think it does do it because people often misunderstand insurance. So a classic kind of example of that would be, well, you know, all insurance kind of policies comes with certain terms and conditions. Keep your doors locked, right? Don't drive around like a maniac. And then some people will, you know, not pay attention to that, try and make a claim. And then, 
you know, they won't get their money because they don't understand that actually the insurance company tries to price the risk, right? So they need to know that you're taking certain steps to make sure you mitigate the risk for them to price it correctly. When people don't get those payouts because they haven't been kind of sticking to their policy, it does kind of lead to kind of those trust issues. Yeah, I think we've laid out pretty well the kind of problems that come from a lack of financial literacy. So let's talk a bit about what can be done about it. Patricia, have you got any thoughts on what can be done about it? And I guess we're looking at it from the perspective of, you know, the insurance industry here. What do you think can be done? Yeah, actually, we have a lot of programs in some of our operating entities and in different countries where there are company volunteers that via an NGO go to schools to give out financial literacy courses. And the financial literacy interventions are are quite cost effective solutions that can help narrow most of these gaps that we were that, that we've been talking about. The ones that we find that have the best chances at success are the ones that are prepared by specialists in education, along with consultants for finance, for communication, for behavioral sciences. And it's best to have these interventions when they address daily life situations, when they involve the financial aspects of social life, for example, the personal relationship to belongings or or to work and income or the public goods, um, international economics. And when they look at different time spans from short, medium to long-term goals, for example. I think that this is one of the initiatives that have the best chance of succeeding. Yeah, that sounds really important. I guess, John, as well, we, we can't forget the people who are out of education who are struggling with financial literacy. What, what, can, what can the industry do to help them, do you think? Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think it's also about interventions for those people that are outside of education, right? So offering kind of some free services, different things that you can kind of give them education outside of an education setting, right? Outside of a school or college. So in terms of great online resources, now that we've had the pandemic or whatever, that kind of digital kind of side of things to help try and people upskill. But also there's kind of a, a responsibility, right, to help people understand what they're buying and the costs and benefits of that. So a good example there, right, might be a mortgage. And one of the things in a mortgage, right, do you go for the higher interest rate with no product fee or do you pay the product fee and get a lower interest rate? People don't understand that calculation. And I can see a lot of people not going for the right option. And it needs to be some kind of mechanism there that makes sure people do go for the right option automatically by default. And that would certainly, you know, help make up for some of the deficit. Yeah, because there's been, haven't they, over the years, you know, lots of regulation around transparency in financial services. And I guess this is part of it because people do struggle to work out which deal is the best for them and what they actually need to to do to make sure in this case they have the right insurance so being transparent Patricia I guess is is a big part of this in helping people with their financial literacy yeah I think that it's uh it's part of our fiduciary duty to educate also our potential customers or our customers that are uh, now and financial institutions, the insurance industry being one of them, uh, can leverage from their expertise to provide some material. So for example, th- there are banks that have a lot of calculators that help you with this mortgage calculation and debt calculators. Uh, we also have tools in our website to help people understand a little bit more about budgeting, about planning, 
about cost tracking. And this is a way in which we find that we can also have this tech-centric financial education. And it can play a role in helping people that are outside of education get familiarized with some of these concepts and make the best choices. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether they know how to calculate compound interest rate or not. What matters is that they are making the best choices for their financial well-being. And that's also what we want. We don't want to have a uh, an angry customer that not understand his insurance policy. What we want is a happy customer that understands the risks that are being hedged by their policy and that can tap into these resources whenever it's needed. Just wrapping things up, in terms of what you want people to take away from this who work in the industry listening to this, what, what would you say, John? Well, I would say that there should be more investment, more going into schools, more acting as early as possible to help build those financial literacy skills when people are young, but also probably amongst teachers and children's parents as well, because obviously parents play a huge role in educating their children. And then you get that double benefit, right, in terms of helping upskill the parents, but also upskilling the children as well. So having the industry involved in that side of things more and more, I think, would help in the short term and over the longer term as well. Yeah. Patricia, what would you say? There's uh, definitely a lot to do on the skill side, but also on the attitudes that people have towards money. A lot to do with confidence, a lot to do with women uh, trying to find more financial products that can help them uh, realize their goals. And I think that we do have in the financial industry a responsibility to educate these people and to help them in the either be that in the short, medium or long term. I think that's probably a, a good point to end things on. Um, thank you very much to Patricia Palayo Romero from Allianz and John Jaron from UCL. Please do subscribe to the series through your podcast app and then you will never miss an episode. Also, we'd love it if you left a review too. Thanks so much for listening. That's it for me, Steph McGovern and Allianz Insurance. Bye-bye. Oh, 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 oh,